Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, The Smell by Francis Flagg, first published in Strange, Cha- Strange Tales of Mystery and Terror, January 1932. I found this in Strange Tales of Mystery and Terror, January 1932. <laughs> I, I also am working on a subsequent publication, the only other publication, which was in a 1970 magazine called uh, Strange Strange Mystery Tales or something like that, um, which is mostly a reprint mag, and it included the same art that's in here, so I don't think they changed anything. There was no caption or anything. This story does not have much attention given given to it, considering it's only been published twice, um, and one is in a reprint mag. No other collections. But I think it deserves our attention. Okay. <laughs> uh, and and in what in what way did it win this uh, obligation from you? Well, I, I I think it opens well. I think it has a, a very interesting title. <laughs> it smells interesting to me. It smelled interesting to me uh, when I was paging through this magazine. And Francis Flagg is a name that rung a few bells, uh, distant bells. He uh, was published in Amazing, so he's a very early um, contributor to science fiction. And um, he was a Canadian. Not that that's my main concern going in. But well, I, Wikipedia I, says he's an American. Well, he's born in Canada. You know, he probably converted at some point. But oh, converted. This this story set in Canada. Yes, it is. Although he doesn't make that explicit. Oh, he does. He does. Um, there, there's a couple of no, places. There's, there's references. He doesn't. Right. There's a reference to the to the uh, the Halifax explosion of 1917. There is. But. But it's not named the Halifax Explosion. No, um, but it does say he's in Nova Scotia early on. And then um, the name of the hotel is the Brunswick. Not that that necessarily means anything. There's a Brunswick, New Jersey, I believe. Um, There's one in the UK somewhere, too. Um, But uh, in Australia, I think it's a a fairly common uh, place place name. Um, But I also like like the way it's told. And it's... um, it's kind of a um, Lovecraftian story, or at least a weird fiction story, and that's unusual because it it doesn't get classified that way. I don't think anybody's collected it up as that, but I think it is one of those. So it's got a number of things going for it, but I I really like the way it's told as well. Uh, the th- one of the things that uh, impressed me about the way it's told. And I don't mean uh, that it raised my opinion of it. It just seemed to me uh, significant. One needs to to remark on it. Is that it's a nested narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the famous physician you know, starts to say something, and I'll, I'm going to desist soon because I, I do want to hear your ideas about how it starts. But But it's a nested narrative. And one of the things that uh, I find so interesting about it as a nested narrative is that as we begin it, 
I, at least, I may have missed something, and you'll please tell me if I have. Uh, I, I have the sense that the story is being told to me from someone who met this physician, and the physician is telling a story about what he did with somebody who then who, who begins his relationship with the physician by telling the physician a story. So, you know, there's there's layers of narration here. Um, so he's talking to me. But at the end, it turns out that he's talking to an us, not a me. Um, so this is more like the beginning of a turn of the screw mm-hmm. where we have everyone sitting around on Christmas Eve and deciding to tell stories. And then the next night they get together and one of them tells a story, but we're aware of the fact that the story is being told to a group here. We, it seems to start with that typical way in so many weird tales and science fiction tales. There's a, Somehow the author is telling us a story when it's clearly a narrator, the outermost narrator telling us a story. But then it turns out there's something more specific there. There's there's a group. And I don't think we're ever told who that group is or why. And that leaves me with some questions about how we're to understand the story. And it's the fact that as traditional in some ways as the story is, that the telling leaves us with certain questions that makes it more interesting to me. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that the things that I'm going to point to a lot in this story are mistakes or they're deliberate. I want them to be deliberate, but I have a feeling there's a possibility they're mistakes. Um, in sort of, you know, I'm a, I'm a sloppy writer kind of mistakes, but that doesn't seem to detract from the story experience for me. In, in fact, it enhances it. Um, and one of the one of the things that is troubling is right away I I didn't know it was like I thought this is bad grammar, um, but no it it turns out it's a question rather than a statement, and you don't know you know in English we don't put a question mark upside down at the beginning to indicate that this following sentence is a is going to be a question right like they do in in Spa- Spanish, um, so I'll just read the opening paragraph here. The famous physician, a noted member of the Society of Psychical Research, pulled thoughtfully at his pipe. During all the years of my investigation of strange phenomena, have I ever run across anything that defied what we please to what we please to call natural explanation? So I, I didn't realize that, that that was going to be a question. So when I read it originally, it was, During all the years of my investigation of strange phenomena, have I ever... That should... I have... Yeah... So I got confused right away, right? Um, and then he answers yep. his own rhetorical question, which I assume someone had just asked him, right? And that's really the only insight that we get into who his audience is, is that they're asking this noted professor, or sorry, physician of and member of the Society of Psychical Research, which as far as I know is not a real society, although it sounds like it could be, Uh he answers his own question. Well, that is hard to say. I don't know. Only a year ago, he paused and lit a, a match. Perhaps I had better tell you about it. And then the the following story comes out. And throughout the story, he's always playing with his pipe. Um, obviously, this is supposed to be set years ago. But I note that... Um, 
that he is, in the very first paragraph, already contradicting himself a little bit, at least in a humorous way. He's pulling on his pipe. I assume that means smoking it, right? It could be that he's pulling on it out of his mouth, but I believe it means smoking it. And then a, a second goes by, and then he needs to light it. So he's sort of losing track of his pipe, whether it's lit or not. And that happens uh, at least once more in the story, where his pipe is sort of... Uh, uh, and it's it's depicted in the illustration, um, you know, smoke coming out. It's called the smell. And I, I just think that there's something funny going on here. We can't trust this narrator to be... Um, I mean, he tells us that he made mistakes, right? And I, I, I love that... I don't know if any of this story makes any sense. But he does tell a story, and it's pretty creepy. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, the story, just so you know, we make sure that those who haven't read it but maybe kind enough to listen to us know what's going on. Uh, the story is uh, the famous physician who says, well, you know, I don't know if, you know, there's ever been an, an unnatural phenomenon that couldn't have natural explanation. But that makes me think of at least one episode that happened way back when I was young. Mm-hmm. That presumably the recounting of that episode is meant to offer witness to the possibility that some strange phenomenon might be clearly observable, right, by a trained scientific mind, and yet not susceptible to what is typically called natural um, explanation. So, which, by the way, is the... uh, the brief for the Society of Psychical Research, which does exist. Oh, okay. It was founded in 1882, and it continues to function today, and they publish a journal. And it has an editorial board full of people with professorial ranks and doctorates um, and university appointments. That doesn't mean that, I mean, for all I know, they're all trying to debunk that stuff. I haven't read their journal. But but the, the organization continues, and maybe it does ride that line that asks, is the world ultimately susceptible to natural explanation or is there something else? And in the case of this story, the inner story is a fellow who comes to the doctor to say, I've got this really weird smell in the room I took, I took the room because it was so inexpensive. It was so inexpensive because not only is it in a rundown building, but it's uh, a room within that building rumored to have a ghost insect or, or something wrong. Someone died there. Some woman died there. Um, and later on, we find out that indeed a woman died there two years earlier. What we get is a description of this doctor whom the the inner narrator meets um, at a boarding house. Uh, He doesn't approach him in his doctoral offices. Um, And he says, I had this smell and I loved the smell. It was just was transporting me. But it was in. But actually, it was a rotten smell. It was like rotting flesh. 
And yet I found it so exhilarating. That's that's weird. And I, I went out to the hall. I just couldn't find a source for the smell, but there it was. And the doctor says, I told him there was not a real problem, blah, 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 blah. Here's a sedative. And, but I maybe I shouldn't have done that. I was so young. And the guy comes back the next day and he's, oh, my God, this really happened. I, you know, it, was, it was so my body, ooh, feelings, ooh, touch, flesh, but it's only smell. And the doctor again sends him back and he says, and I'll sit there with you. And then we get the doctor telling what he sees going on, which is this man in a th- throes of such rapture, such happiness, such ecstasy that when the doctor tries to drag him away from what was clearly uh, an interaction with some other but invisible body, um, he dies in the hallway and the coroner decides it was a heart attack. But was it really? And the easiest way to understand the story is to say it's a succubus, mm-hmm. that the smell is just the mark of a devil sent to the earth in the form of a woman. But in this case, an invisible woman um, to seduce and steal the soul of men. Uh, on the other hand, since we later learned that two years earlier, it's a woman who died in that room. Maybe it was an incubus or maybe it's a combination succubus and incubus. It's an omnibus. Um, I couldn't resist that, Jesse. <laughs> um, but but it ends with just, you know, so what was really going on? Um, does that is that? Yeah, that's the, the story. Um, it's it's <laughs> kind of a weird story. And then at the end. Right. He says in answer to your question. Oh, um, ah, he said. But I see that this explanation is not natural. <laughs> so all throughout the story, we have reason to question whether th- this guy is very uh, good at his at his job, I guess. Um, his his answer to the question, well, that is hard to say. I don't know. Only years ago, uh, perhaps I just better tell you the story. Um, so he's, you know, is there anything really unnatural in the world or anything that can't be explained by science? And his answer is, uh, hmm, I just told this story. I guess it isn't. I guess there is stuff that can't be explained, by, right? Um, which is a long way of saying, uh, I don't know, or uh, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, this is the expert, right? Uh, this uh, well-respected member of the psychical research, um, he's noted and famous physician, Um but his memory's got problems, too. Uh, I w- can I point out some of the problems? But maybe before I do that, I want to, I want to, I want to. Well, could I, I, yeah, I, I do want it. to do that, but I just comment on the point you just made. Sure. Um, if, if in fact, the explanation which he offers at the end isn't really natural, as he says he can tell by looking at his listeners' faces. Right then maybe part of the point of this story is to attack the whole idea of a society of psychical research. I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, the, 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 one of the things your uh, very neat uh, summary didn't do is give uh, give the really fun writing that happens. I, I noted this giant paragraph. Oh, it's uh, two paragraphs from page 406. Um it goes like this. What time it was, 
the smell awakened me, I do not know. But the room was full of it. And it was not a fragrant smell, not the odor of damp earth and breathing flowers, but rather of something unpleasant, something I am sure that was rotten. Not that I thought so at the time, for during that experience I was intoxicated by the odor. That is the ghastly part of the whole business, I tell you. I lay in the bed and luxuriated in that smell. I actually rolled in it, rolling on the mattress, over and over, as you may have seen dogs rolling in carrion. My whole body seemed to gulp in the foul atmosphere, every inch and pore of it. My skin muscles twitched, and from head to foot I was conscious of such exquisite rapture and delight that it beggars description. All night I lay on that bed and wallowed in the delicious sea of perfume, and then suddenly in the daylight I could hear people stirring in the other rooms. The smell was gone, and I was conscious of being sick and weak, so sick that I retched and vomited and couldn't eat no breakfast. And it was then I realized that all night I had reveled in the odor of rottenness, of something unspeakably foul, but at the time desirable and piercingly sweet. So I came to you. <laughs> and that, so right before what we realize uh, at this point, hopefully, is um, this is right before this guy's run into the doctor and said, hey, I... Uh, I need some help, doctor. I'm having mental problems. Uh, um, help me. I'm, I think I'm going crazy. And the doctor says, you're not going crazy. And then proceeds to give him uh, what he admits is something uh, unethical treatment uh, by saying go back, even though he didn't think it was wise for him to go back there uh, and go to bed and take these drugs. And essentially the doctor kills him, right? by dosing him on drugs, um, preventing him from escaping himself. Um, he actually doses him a couple of times uh, with sedatives. But <laughs> the, the, the wonderful writing is, uh, I think, only part of the story. Because the timeline's very broken <laughs> in this story. First of all, he says it was many years ago. This story is published in 1932, uh, Halifax explosion is 1917, um, and this story is set well before that, right? Um, he says uh, that was. He says later I learned that in that great explosion of 1917, the house was destroyed by fire. Um, so the Herald House, the house that the uh, the uh, victim Lemuel Mason, what a great name. Um, died in and was later ex exploded in the Halifax explosion so there's no evidence um, uh, the Halifax explosion for people who don't know is a two ships collided one carrying munitions for World War One in the harbor at Halifax and basically it was a uh, an equivalent to a very small nuclear bomb going off um, and wiped out uh, many streets and killed a whole lot of people it was a is a big casualty uh, event of World War One outside of Europe. Um, so this is presumably happened in Halifax, given that the house was destroyed in Halifax. Um, but he also says he's practicing in a small town in Nova Scotia. So I guess he's on vacation in this house, uh, in this uh, other house that he was formerly a rumor in with Lemuel. Uh, Mason, who had moved to the other place because it was cheaper. That's all presumption. But he notes twice the name of a book he was reading. 
And he quotes from in this story, and he quotes the title wrong, <laughs> and yet he quotes from the book uh, from his mind. I'm not sure what's going on with this, because it, I, to me, I think it, it's really evident. So this is on page uh, 405, and it starts, One evening, I was sitting in my room after dinner, enjoying my pipe, and a book of Hudson's, that's William Henry Hudson's, a hind in Hyde Park, when a hasty knock sounded at the door. Come in, I called perfunctorily, and there entered a young man of slender build, pale face, indeterminate features with dark hair and eyes. They had actually known each other, so he's describing the, the guy in a kind of a strange way, <laughs> as if he'd just never seen him before. But that book is not a real book. A, a hind in Hyde Park is not the name of William Henry Hudson's book. It's called, actually, A Hind in Richmond Park, um, and it was published in 1922. <laughs> so, not only was the Halifax explosion the thing to cause the house to disappear, but the book that he was reading at the time uh, before the Halifax explosion exploded the house was published prior uh, to 1920, 1917. So this doesn't make any sense. No, it uh, wasn't. Okay. 1922 isn't prior to 1917. Uh, the book he is reading, he claims, is published in oh, I see what 19, you mean. prior he, to I, 1917. And that can't be yes. the case because it wasn't published until after the war. I see. So oh, yes. uh, let's assume that many years later his memory of his book is bad, right? That the memory... Uh, we have to assume... First of all, we know it's bad because he's got the title wrong. Hyde Park is in, is in London... And, you know, it's a famous park. And Henry Hudson, with all those H's, you you know, a hind in Hyde Park, you, you can imagine him making a mistake on that. So I'm not sure that this is, um, I'm not sure if this is the character of this famous physician or if this is Francis Flagg. But the fact that he keeps referring to it as uh, the same book and then very much quotes from it again he says you will remember this is on page 406 i was reading hudson's book a hind in hyde park when interrupted and and then he quotes to the boy or the young man um he says taking refuge in an explanation quoted by hudson i said soothingly the condition is evidently rare but one an explainable one i suppose you know something of the nature of dreams a sleeping man pricks his hand with a pin a dream follows to account for the prick he dreams that he is rambling in the forest on a hot summer's day and throws himself down in the shade to rest, and while resting and perhaps dozing, he is startled by a slight rattling, rustling sound, and looking around is terrified to observe a venomous snake gliding towards him with uplifted head. The serpent strikes and pierces his arm, and the pain of the bite awakens the man. You see, the serpent's bite is the culmination of the dramatic scene which had taken some time in the acting, yet the whole dream, with its feeling, thoughts, acts, began and ended with the pinprick. And he's making a comparison between this pain uh, of a pinprick in, in sleep and the smell in dreams. So his, his theory is that there's some flowers outside your house, um, they, you've got the window open, the transom above your doors open, and the breeze brings the scent in, and that accounts for everything. It's a very nice explanation, but he just, 
can't have been quoting from that, right? So what is going on here? I don't know that he was quoting from that there. Um, on 406, he says, Hudson's book, um, he says, you'll remember, he's, the, the physician is speaking to the listeners, us, uh, we don't know we're plural yet. You'll remember that I was um, reading Hudson's book, A Hind in Hyde Park, which you're quite right, it should be A Hind in Richmond Park. When interrupted, if you have ever read the book, you will recollect that a portion of it deals with the sense of smell in animals. Um, in fact, according to Hudson's own description within the book, chapter eight deals with the sense of smell in man and animals. Um, so <laughs> if we're going to pursue this lovely idea that maybe um, flag has modified things so that we'll know that there's an untrustworthy narrator here. Uh, that is the physician is untrustworthy. Um, he's not the outermost person, but you know, that the physician is untrustworthy. Um, then it's really quite lovely that he leaves out the fact that Hudson is talking about smell in man and animals. Mm -hmm. he, he, he exonerates man as he sort of exonerate, tries to exonerate himself. Yes. Um, and, and Hudson, I think it's worth knowing, is most famous now. And my guess is he was most famous in 1932 as well, the year of publication of Flagg's story, for green mansions. I mean, Hudson died in 1922. Uh, Hind in Richmond Park was his last publication. Uh, green Mansions is a tropical romance. That's the subtitle. And it's about, you know, this fellow who goes off down to Patagonia and uh, finds this marvelous woman and, and so forth. Um, it definitely is romantic. But Hudson, although he is best known for these rather steamy, I don't mean in sexual terms, I mean uh, sensuous, um, uh, lush uh, romances, was in fact equally well known as a naturalist. And uh, a hind in Richmond Park is nonfiction. So what we find in Hudson is someone who sort of straddles both the fantastic and the naturalistic in his own work. And this physician who clearly has got the timing wrong, and I thank you for pointing that out, Jesse, clearly has got the publication timing wrong. Um, he also is trying to straddle that, which is what the whole Society of Psychical for Psychical Research is supposed to be about. And isn't it convenient that the largest explosion in human history before the nuclear bomb just happened to get rid of the room where some other scientific person could go and see whether or not this is a repeatable datum? Yep. Gotcha, Rudy. So maybe Flag really... Maybe he really, as you said, maybe he really wants all of these mistakes to be in there so that we will realize that that the people who try to to naturalize the supernatural are themselves not to be trusted. Yeah, I, 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 I really am hoping that that's the case, because it seems to be, you know, the, the amount of times he has to relight his pipe, you know, that he's sort of unskillful <laughs> with his pipe is evidence that, you know, he's got problems. Uh, at least he's sort of um, distracted or not present in a certain sense, right? And 
And he admits on page 4A at the top, it says, And now, said the doctor, I must tell you of the criminal thing I did. <laughs> yes, though I sensed the danger of the man uh, in which the man stood, I persuaded him to spend another night in his room. He, he, he thought that something is very bad here, but he was so interested in it that he does it anyways. And then uh, later on, he says, it was nine o'clock. Mason collapsed on the bed. I had administered a powerful sedative. And then he picks up another book and starts reading while he's waiting for the effects of this uh, smell to uh, happen. He says, uh, seated in one of the chairs with my feet propped up on another, I smoked my pipe and read and watched, and I was not jumpy. My nerves were steady enough. The book that I had read was a strange one by that medieval author whose symbols, whose symbol is the House of Onam. No, the, horns. the horns. Horns, sorry, you're right. Horns of Onam. Now, I don't know what this means. What are the horns of Onam? But then it just continues. Few scholars have ever seen a copy of it. My own was given me by, uh, but that doesn't matter. I read it. I say, fascinated by the hidden things, the incredible, yes, even horrible things hinted at on, on every page, and by the strange drawings and weird designs. Uh, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it's because he is, again, distracted. He's really interested in this stuff, right? Um, and then... Uh, so when he says, yeah, the paragraph began to read at the top of four, it continues a little, as he says, I persuaded him to spend another night in his room. I was young, remember, mm -hmm. and it came over me that here was an opportunity to study a strange phenomenon at first hand that he's creating an excuse for himself. Yep. And yet he does not seem to have resigned his membership in the society. Nope. So and he's famous and noted. Yes. So he's he's a little bit Victor Frankenstein here, you know, um, I'm going to do it because, hey, I can, and wouldn't it be swell? The uh, the description of what happens to Lemuel Mason is uh, pretty horrible. Um, <laughs> Agreed. And, and um, powerful. And um, I'm, I got notes like, Lamia? Succubus? Question mark, right? Um, he's definitely experiencing something, uh, assuming that this narrative is to be relied upon at all but there there are so many um just word choices that just i think really make this story fun fun reading um and this is on page 409 just you know more more description i felt it go from myself oh oh i I you know I want to read just before that cuz this is some of the fun stuff as well he's he's been studying these books right these um occult books <clears throat> be gone i cried uttering the incommunicable name and that so this creature he he's recognized it but he won't write it down or at least he won't speak it to this audience that is presumably writing it down be gone i cried uttering the incommunicable name and that name which it is tempting madness for the human tongue to utter by the power of three in one by the alpha and omega by the might of the eternal monad back i commanded I felt it go from myself, but not from Mason. Still his body writhed and twisted with voluptuous ecstasy. His face radiated unhuman lust, 
and joy, and his hands, his hands! With a feeling of unutterable horror, I realized that he was beyond the protection of any magic I could invoke to save him. And uh, earlier he had used, um, he says, almost I felt it recoil before the symbol I drew in the air with my finger. Right, so he's using magic to try and to try and uh, I don't know expel this demon or whatever it is. Um, he's a doctor who just administered a what did what did he call it a a powerful sedative, and he had actually given him a sedative before as well before they left the house. Is this entire narrative just possible that he dosed this guy really heavily? He overdosed this guy. He died in his sleep. And this is his recollection of how things make sense. And, and that makes it into not a comedy, but a horror. If it, if it is a horror, um, and that, that's a, a plausible reading, it still signifies a lot about that physician that the his ultimate victim came to him he didn't seek him out That's this true. is not jekyll and hyde although it is uh, hyde park not richmond park uh that's true that's true um and the man involved is a mason which means he's part of a secret society um i i, I think that that name lemuel mason i i was thinking like this is lemuel is uh, it's a biblical name but I only associate with Lemuel Gulliver, right? And, Me too. And uh, Lemuel Gulliver is a guy who tells these fanciful stories about his his trips around the world. You don't um, believe him? Well, you know, he did go to Japan, which is a real place, but pretty much every it's other place has eh, been discovered on any maps. Oh, no, no. Well, it's a third-person narration. That's true. No, I, and, and at the end, poor Lemuel... Um, at the end of the fourth book, poor Lemuel is unable to, to speak with ordinary human beings That's because right. he has been uh, destroyed for human intercourse, having realized the nobility of the Winhams. He keeps trying to talk to horses back in London and the horses you know, don't answer him, which puts them in the position in relation to him that he was in relation to um, as a Yahoo. Uh, back with the Brobdingnagians uh, being unable to speak as far as they could tell. The Winhams, uh, the Winhams. Right, that's what I said. Oh, uh, the Brobdingnagians are the big... Oh, I'm sorry, guys. right. It's the, He's a, a Yehu to the... Yahoo to the, the Winhams. Yeah. Yes, and now that switches roles when he so, gets back to London. So, and I, I don't think we're supposed to doubt that. I think we're supposed to... I mean, in the way of any fantasy, we're supposed to see it as real within its own terms. But here... Um, I think you're quite right. This physician is highly susceptible and as um, Sherlock Holmesian as he might seem to be. And it begins with, you know, I met this this guy and he had all this knowledge. And, you know, um, you know, really, is he solving crimes? No, <laughs> maybe, as you say, he's committing them <laughs> yeah. at that point. He admits at that point I have to. Well, he admits administering the drug. He does not admit that the drug caused death. I must tell but, you of the criminal thing I did. He doesn't say, you know, I, I committed this felony. He He's just saying I did something really bad. Um, maybe right. against, doc, you know, the doctor's code or something. Um, well, but 
the criminal thing he did was send him back into danger yes. so that he could be observed. Um, that's not right. I, I didn't hear anything about informed consent. No. <laughs> but maybe there was. After all, there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.